Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, we just released the epic two-part trial of the Juggernaut, which frankly completely changed and revolutionized my understanding of the character, uh, making him frankly one of my favorite villains of all time. Uh, and just in time too, because we're gonna see hints of the Juggernaut at the end of this issue, and we'll be spending some time with him in the next couple issues we review. But in recent uh, in recent episodes, we've been reviewing some X-Men issues from the early 1960s, so kind of away from the run. We've, uh, we've seen uh, uh, other battles taking place. Magneto versus Thor was the last one we did. Now, if we're stepping back into the X-Men continuity that we're picking up from in this issue, we've seen Jean Grey off at Metro College courting a character named Ted Roberts. Uh, Ted keeps hinting about a brother he's in competition with, and we're finally going to meet that brother in this issue. Uh, meanwhile, Professor X has been secretly keeping the Juggernaut locked up behind a secret door in the basement. Uh, Angel has been recently wounded and is still healing. Uh, he's let us know that he is ready to either move on from Jean Grey or have us or have her make a decision about him. Uh, Cyclops is finally determined to get Jean Grey to tell him or to tell Jean Grey how he feels. Uh, and then we see we seen Beast and Iceman dating uh, Vera Cantor and Zelda Kurtzberg, respectively. So that kind of sets up where we're picking up from last time. Now, this issue, we're going to be joining the quote unquote most unusual fighting team of all time in X-Men number 31. Uh, which is called We Must Destroy the Cobalt Man from April 1967. And we are joined by uh, Justin and Alicia from the X-Wife podcast and the incredible writer, uh, Ben Rabb. Ben, we're so happy to have you here, Justin and Alicia. Thank you for coming back. Uh, as you guys are introducing yourselves today, the question I have for you is, and this is kind of in consideration of the ridiculousness of this issue, if you had an element off of the periodic table you were going to take that's never been associated with the hero, uh, or a villain, and you put it in front of the word man or woman, so Iron Man, Cobalt Man, Hydro Man, et cetera, uh, what would your armor do or what would your powers be? So silly question. Uh, let's go Alicia, then Justin, then Ben. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Alicia. She, she her pronouns and arsenic woman is my choice. Um, my powers are that I can conduct electricity. I have poison saliva and super strength. And also I am clearly a villain. <laughs> I'm a villain. <laughs> so like poisonous saliva, you spitting on people? Yeah. Or like poison ivy That's style, true. like kissing them yeah. or something. <laughs> okay. Just like that is not COVID safe. <laughs> my goodness gravy. Okay. <laughs> Go Justin. Hey everyone. Justin, he, him pronouns i just could not get off of the idea of calcium man um it's and i'm glad that alicia went first because it's just a ridiculous idea that i couldn't stop thinking of uh, so by day he is employed as a spokesperson for for milk and for big dairy and you know he's a, a lobbyist for local farmers he's really champion of the people and by night he is he's working to take down those evil conglomerates that are pushing the farmers out of business. His powers are to reduce the calcium from your bones and teeth, rendering you ultimately feeble. <laughs> Osteoporosis be damned. Yes. <laughs> and how about you, Ben? Um, hello, everybody. I'm Ben. Uh, my pronouns uh, are he, him. Uh, I would be zirconium person mm. because you know, 
I feel like it's a new day. It's a new era. Should mm-hmm. start having heroes and villains that have, you know, maybe maybe they don't identify. I don't know. But yeah. I would use my powers to uh, increase the value. Maybe this would make me a hero. Hero to some, villains to others. To the diamond industry, I'd be a villain because I'd be making the, the, the cubic zirconium rings far more valuable. I would turn them into something, an item of, of worth and value that would completely undermine the diamond industry and turn the world on its head. So for, for those who couldn't afford a diamond but had to go with a cubic zirconium i would be i would be a hero to them to the to the big businesses that are selling diamonds i you know De beers and 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 jared i'd be i'd be the scourge <laughs> of of all those uh jewelry stores i adore these answers and my name is chad uh, he him uh i think i would be carbon man but i would take the carbon out like i'd be the guy that saves the planet from global warming i'll absorb the carbon and i feed on it and i just uh save the planet that's uh that's my lofty <laughs> endeavor with this fictional character um <laughs> we're going to be jumping into x-men 31 in a few minutes but we want to spend the first part of our podcast today interviewing uh ben rab uh ben i uh, i'm pretty new to podcasting i'm about eight months into it um but i'm a longtime marvel comics reader and sometimes writer uh very loosely in the past um but i've been a huge fan of yours uh and the work that you've done in the x books and other parts of marvel uh for a really long time so when i initially reached out from you uh or reached out to you i wasn't expecting to hear back but i'm so honored that you that you did and i'm, I'm thrilled to have you here uh, so thank you for well, joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's not not often that I have a fan. <laughs> I think so. I, I those that I do have, I, I appreciate even more. I think you have more than you think. Uh, the X Men community is on fire over these last few years. The uh, I mean, there's always rabid X fans, but uh, but I, I see more love, more continuity, paying attention, more love of obscure characters. Uh, people are really all over the place right now, uh, and it's it's wonderful to see the the revival there. Now, Ben Rab, for those that may not be familiar, his last name is R A A B, uh, has written a lot of Marvel books and a lot of other comic books in other realms, but just X Men specific. And we're not going to cover any of these today. But he has written uh, the X Men Time Gliders limited series, issues of Wolverine and All New Exiles, and X Nation twenty ninety nine. Uh, we got to see Quicksilver on the His Avengers team. Uh, he wrote the origin of Cyclops in Uncanny Origins. He created the character Primal in X-Men Unlimited. Uh, he wrote an incredible team up with Shang-Chi and the X-Men in the Uncanny X-Men run. Uh, we got to see him explore an alternate universe with Bishop in What If? Uh, he also wrote the limited series uh, Psy- Psylocke and Archangel Crimson Dawn, uh, a, a one-shot about Colossus, the X-Men Alpha Flight limited series, the X-Men Hellfire Club limited series, the New Mutants Truth or Death limited series, and a second volume of Excalibur. And those are the ones we're not covering. <laughs> so there's a really impressive, Then uh, uh, I think you've had a really strong footprint on the X-Men for a period of time. Uh, as you as you really touched on them in a lot of different realms and a lot of spaces, and you've had a long-term impact on a lot of characters. Uh, my first question for you today, tell me how you got involved with the X-Men as a fan and then as a writer. So my, my connection to the X-Men goes way back to Dave Cockrum's last issue just before John Byrne took over as artist, uh, Uncanny 107 which was one of the first X-Men comics I ever got as a kid. I was about six years old. Um, 
and that you know opening splash page of of the x-men you know appearing near the macron crystal like just that the shot of them and you know jeans in the background everyone's in the foreground and it's just they're on an alien world and again you you know you're a six-year-old kid you open a comic book and you see that image and it just i mean it blows your mind right like um there was sort of a no turning back from that point for me um you know i I started getting x-men books and dribs and drabs from that point um I think the next one I got was 113 was the with the, the uh, issue where uh, they fought Magneto under the volcano, you know. So there was it was like God, uh, 122, no 120, wait, no 120, sorry 120, which was Alpha Flight appearing at the very end, just before I, I didn't have the issue that came after, so they actually fought them, but it was where they, you know, Sasquatch grabs the plane and throws the plane all that so that was like that and then into the 130s and then you know i got a subscription as a kid uh 142 so book you know book comes in the, these brown paper sleeves you pull off the sleeve and there's the cover and it's the sentinel holding a dead storm bl- blasting wolverine saying this issue everybody dies i was like my subscription just started what the hell <laughs> um <laughs> you know but uh, i mean again part two of days of future past. So like that was it. That was, that was the genesis of my love for these characters. And throughout the early eighties, the X-Men were, you know, that was my all time favorite book. I mean, me and a million other kids that, that read comics and the, the rest of the world didn't know what we were all up to, but that was, that was where the, the, the fascination and the love came and uh, stopped reading for a little while in high school, but then eventually got back into it in the late eighties when I was in college and uh at the time um i actually was taking some screenwriting classes and my senior year this is now this is like 1991 at this point so my senior year um there's rumors there's going to be an x-men movie nelvana is going to do an animated one remember that rumor everybody remember that one uh you know we got to we got to see the the you know the 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 x-men you know prior to the x-men cartoon we saw all that shit but there was rumors that there was going to be an X-Men movie and I was taking screenwriting classes and I'm like, well, I'm the world's biggest X-Men fan. I'm going to write those movies. Uh, so I did. I wrote two X-Men screenplays, parts one and two. One was sort of the original team. The second one was the, the second Genesis team. And uh, the third was going to be a, you know, a dark Phoenix story, kind of like actually the movies eventually played out. Again, none of this went anywhere. This was all me in, you know, my 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 apartment senior year of college, just writing away, thinking, having dreams of actually, you know, doing something with a property I had no rights to. Um, but what they did do for me was after I graduated college, um, I got an internship at Marvel. And one of the ways I got the internship was that I was able to get those scripts into the hands of Terry Stewart, who was the president of Marvel at the time, who kindly read them and says, you know, I'll pass them on to Stan Lee if you want. I'm like, yeah, please. Um, and he's like, what do you want to do? You know, I was like, well, I, I would love to work in comics. I, I you know, this is, I didn't know anything about how the sausage was made at that point, but I knew it was a, a world that I loved and X-Men was my all-time favorite book. And this was the, the house of ideas. And I'm just like, whatever. He's like, well, editorial is where we do that, where we make the books. I'm like, that's where I want to be. So I did a, he's like, all right, because you're, we can't give you college credit because you're out of college. We'll, we'll pay you a small stipend for a few months, keep you on your feet. And then if you make a good enough impression, hopefully someone will want to hire you. I mean, at this point, 
1993. The company keeps growing exponentially. I mean, it's the early 90s boom. And, you know, the specular, speculator market is, is growing and growing. And so there's like, we got to put out product, product, product. Um, so there was a lot going on in the editorial department at that, at that time. And they needed, you know, kind of as, all the hands they could get. Um, so I ended up in special projects for four months. And this is pretty much from June of 93 till like roughly October, November. Um, and we were doing trading cards and posters. And one of the card sets that we were doing was getting gathering reference for the an X-Men set for Fleer. And so my job was to get visual reference for the artists that maybe didn't know the characters, some of the more obscure ones, whatever. So I was in and out of the X office constantly. And and I knew page and panel which shots to, to send them. So I was able to sort of be in that space, not be obtrusive, know exactly what I was looking for, get it, send it, bring it back. And you know, Bob Harris, the editor at the time, saw that I I had a, a breadth of knowledge about these characters in this world. Um, and so I got to the end of my four month, you know, stint and I was I was I was in an actually very fortunate position. Um, I had the special projects department saying, look, we could hire you as an assistant editor. Uh, Don Daly, who was the editor on the Punisher books at the time, was like, I'm about to promote my assistant. I'm going to need a new one. Would you be interested? And I was seriously, you know, considering that because it was like, OK, great. I'll get to make comics, you know, C trading cards and posters were cool, but it wasn't really what I was there for. Um, and I work with some great people I work with, with Tom Brevoort, who, you know, is now, a, you know, big deal at Marvel. Um, I just, it just wasn't where my heart was. And so as I was deliberating, okay, well, am I going to take this Punisher job? Bob Harris pulls me aside and he's like, walk with me, walks me down the corridors of the, of the editorial office and, and, and says, I'm about to promote my assistant and you obviously know your shit. Would you be interested in, in being the X-Men assistant editor? I was like, that's the job. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that was it. That was, that was the beginning of it. And, uh, you know, I did it for about two and a half years before going freelance and, and, you know, I mean, it was a dream come true for sure. When I was uh, in high school, things were pretty rough at home. And one of the things that allowed me to survive was uh, going down to the local grocery store and getting comics off the spinner rack. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough for that. Uh, and I started with X-Force books and then that started picking up all of the other books. So I, I formed this relationship with the owner of my local cop comic shop and the uh, the comics back then are the ones I hold, I think, most sacred uh, because they just were there for me during such a, a seminal time in my life. And your run on Excalibur was one of those runs that I read back then. So uh, Ben was in charge of Excalibur from 106 through 125, the conclusion of the series. Obviously, when you're writing something like a one shot or a limited, you have a, a limited amount of space in which to explore things. But you got a, a really long chance to tell great stories with some of our favorite characters, including Nightcrawler and Colossus and uh, Shadowcat or Kitty Pride. Uh, we, we got a lot of Megan and a lot of Wolvesbane and Moira McTaggart in your series. I want to ask you a couple of questions uh, about characters in your Excalibur run. Now, in the comics right now, Moira McTaggart is a really big deal. I don't know if you're following any of the Jonathan Hickman stuff, but no, she's been I'm so I'm so like out of touch with what's going on. So she's... forgive me for that. Oh no, please! She's been revealed to be a mutant who uh, what? who <laughs> <laughs> come on? Yep. 
who has the power to, when she dies, uh, reality basically restarts with her. And she what? she lives all of her lifetime. And when she dies, another reality starts again. And she has this, uh, this agenda uh, where she has now helped kind of form a mutant nation in secret. So your work with, with Moira, as I went back and read it, because we have this major retcon, there's a lot of subtext to some of the stories you wrote with her. And you wrote her during the time when she had the legacy virus. Uh, tell me about your your reaction to the news, I guess, just gave that guess. <laughs> but also your work, with, uh, your work with the character of Moira McTaggart. What do you like and dislike about her? Tell us a little about what you did with her. I mean, look, I, I was introduced to her as Professor X's sort of, you know, colleague. Are they sleeping with each other? What's going on there? You know, like, but, but like his his peer and his equal and and someone who was um, important to his mission and his goals and also a challenge to him when she needed to be. Um, that's what I always liked about her is that she kind of she was him without a mutant ability. Um Come on now. Uh, <laughs> but when you stop, okay, hold on. When you stop and think about a character who can literally reset reality any given moment, then nothing matters. Nothing counts. It, then everything's a dream. Everything's an imaginary sequence. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it, it takes away a little bit of the narrative dramatic stakes. But again, I'm not in charge. Um, Maybe it may be that like a, a new multiverse branch starts out, you know, they haven't quite explored it. Yeah, it's but, not a hundred percent clear. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? Here, here's the funny thing about it is that, you know, Marvel edict has always been ordinary people in extraordinary situations. Right. So now you've taken a character who was an ordinary person in an extraordinary situation and made them extraordinary. Takes a little bit away from me, for me personally, um, you know, is this because like to explain the Proteus of it all? Like, I mean, well, uh, the story they tell, the story they tell in House of X, Powers of X, uh, before Professor X ever formed the X Men, Moira revealed to Charles uh, her the truth about her. She let him read her mind, and she, he saw all of the lifetime she'd ever lived, basically. And so she's been working with him behind the scenes for years to create a mutant nation, which they now have on Krakoa, which is like the island that eats mutants. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting nuance to it. And they're doing some fun things with the character. Um, oh. When when you had her, and I, and I totally understand your reaction. Because <laughs> well, you know what? It's like if you don't have what made the human characters in the X-Men book so interesting to me was that they were the contrast. They were the they were the allies. They were the ones that supported, that stood by them and said, you know, in a world that fears and hates you, we got your back. Mm -hmm. And and so if everyone's a mutant, then no one's special. I hear you. Mm -hmm. Anyway. But um, that doesn't mean good stories can't come out of it. It's just, I, it's not a choice I would have made. You wrote her as a very determined scientist. Uh, obviously, she was desperate to cure the legacy virus as the only human with the legacy virus, although she wasn't a human. <laughs> <laughs> she was then. <laughs> uh, and uh, and your work with her was really, really interesting. I thought you you did some really great uh, character work with her. Now, my favorite uh, my favorite issue that you wrote uh, in your Excalibur run was the concluding issue. So Excalibur number 125, which beautifully wraps up this long series that's been around for years. And you ended the series with the wedding of uh, Captain Britain and Megan, uh, who have gone on to have a child and perhaps a second on the way. So those characters have continued to advance as well. Um, they have a little girl named Maggie who is uh, emotionally 
a three or four year old, but intellectually an adult. <laughs> it's a really interesting character. Uh, tell me about the uh, the wedding of uh, Captain Britain and Meghan. I mean, that was, you know, uh, him having been gone for a while. Um, I mean, it's been so long, I've forgotten the circumstances of why he was even gone. Um, but uh, just the fact that he'd been gone, she kind of had this growing attraction with with Peter. Um, it, Lost it, us, not Peter Wisdom. Yes, correct. <laughs> Piotr. Piotr, however you pronounce it in Russian. Um, it, yeah, it, it it just felt like, I mean, it's the best way to sort of end that series and know that, you know, sending off the X-Men back to be X-Men um, knowing that there's some good coming out of it, that there's the end on a happy, happy note that these two people who's, you know, I mean, I'd read the, you know, the, the Alan Davis, Jamie Delano, um, Captain Britain, you know, trade paperback before uh, I even read Excalibur, I think. Um, or maybe I got it at the same time, I think, because that was right around the time I was getting back into the books. And I loved Alan Davis's art. So I was like, anything that he's done, I want to say. Um, but, you know, watching her journey from the hideous, freakish creature that she was into this beautiful, you know, woman, her sort of childlike innocence, the, you know, the two of them having this relationship, which was a little weird at the, at the beginning. But, you know, it just felt like these two were destined for each other. And and I wanted to honor that destiny by by giving them, you know, that story. She had uh, during your run, she had one of those costumes, which many ex women do. I'm like, and I remember thinking, like, how do her boobs stay in? Like, if you raise your elbow, that question a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of different mutant ability. (laughs) Secondary mutation. Correct. Yes. Uh, you worked a lot of soap opera into your Excalibur run as well. We got to see, you know, Nightcrawler and Daytripper break up and Kitty and Peter Wisdom break up and Wolvesbane and Douglock kind of form a, a romance. And it was balanced by incredible action with uh, with a lot of unexpected characters. We got Spiral and the Dragons of the Crimson Dawn and Technet and all kinds of things. Uh, do you re- look back on your run fondly now that some time has passed? Uh, you know, honestly, like I haven't I haven't looked back. Other than like when I see like like some of the other um, Twitter handles putting up of like you know some of the interior pages uh, of you know uh, the, the, those issues and I'm like oh yeah right I did that oh yeah that was kind of fun oh that's actually not a terrible page um, it, it's it, it's very hard to look back um, without being hypercritical without knowing that I was just starting out as a writer that I what I know now I did not know then and I was doing my creative growth in public which is why. I think one of the reasons why I, when I was saying it's nice to have a fan, um, I, you know, I remember on the message boards when there were message boards back in the day, there was a lot of negative reaction to my work. You know, I wasn't Warren Ellis. I wasn't Chris Claremont. I wasn't any of these, these things and these writers that people sort of wanted. I was, you know, uh, a guy from the inside who tried to step out of the inside and um, to varying degrees of success, you know, publicly or personally. there are projects that I was more, you know, proud of than others. Um, Excalibur on balance. Like I, I remember when Salvador La Roca was announced that he was going to be the artist. I was like, Oh, this is really cool. I love his stuff. Um, you know, and, and so it was like, great. I'm getting a, a, you know, one of those kind of high level partners. Um, I wish he would have stayed on longer. You know, we had a lot of artists in a, in a, in a short period of time. Um, but I got to work with some great people. I got to work with Pete Woods. I got to work with the Illegal Shim. Like, you know, 
Trevor Scott did some, some good stuff. Mel Ruby. I mean, I was, some of those pages were popping up the other day. I'm like, God, those were, those were really cool. Um, and those are some fun stories. I mean, John Cassidy did the covers. Um, fun fact that is not common knowledge is that he was supposed to be the artist on the book. Mm. Um, our, an editor that was editing the book, I'm not, I won't name names, but uh, when John was sort of in this holding pattern, not, you know, who's told he's getting the book by Matt Idelson. And so John and I kind of started conceiving what the direction we wanted to go with it. And we had, we had a really interesting take. We were going to introduce some new characters. We were going to do some uh, unexpected things with some of the ones that were there. Um, we were kind of leaning into the, the international network of mutants and sort of playing it as, you know, really European, African, Asian, like not just, just, you know, England's, uh, we were going all over the world with it. Um, but he hadn't heard from the editor that he was still on the book for a week and he got an offer to do something else. And so that he had to, he's like, I, I if this guy's not getting back to me, I got to take it. So there is an alternate reality that, that I guess when, you know, Moira dies and, and comes back <laughs> in that reality, the, the Rab Cassidy Excalibur run will exist. <laughs> Uh, when you're taking characters like this, uh, it's almost like you're writing season 40 of a show that has, you know, 500 seasons because the characters have come so far before and they're going to go so far after. But I reread your run recently, man, and it was it was really good. It was impressive. It was true to the characters. They all had unique voices. You did great things with them. You also got the chance to kind of give Domino a chance to break out on her own a little bit. Your your Domino limited series uh, took a character from X-Force who had been through some shit uh, and gave her a backstory and gave her a lot of character. Now, we've seen Gail Simone do a Domino book uh, quite recently, which was incredible. But your three issue uh, limited really established that character for me in some ways. Uh, uh, tell us about your work on Domino. I forget how I got that book. Uh, it's one of those, I mean, again, so much X product, so many, so many characters. Who can we give a book to? You know, um, I feel it's probably how that one came about. Um, you know, I, like, I, I I'm a huge, I'm a lifelong Alpha Flight fan. So the chance to sort of say that this is a character who probably would have inhabited the same, you know, world as, as a character like Eugene Judd, Puck. Um, it just made sense to sort of put them together. And there was, again, if I remember that story correctly, as Donald Pierce was the villain. And I feel like there was, there were some dangling threads around him that I was like, I think we need to try and tie them up a little bit or at least sort of check in with him. I think that was part of my motivation for that. I forget exactly how the story goes. Again, it's been a while. I'm not a young man anymore. Um, but uh, but it was, I, I always approached any X project that I had, that I was, give, or I was given or I, I had pitched um, from the sense of what is a thread that we haven't tied or what is a, what is dangling that could be expanded or um, extrapolated from. Uh, certainly what I did with that New Mutants miniseries, it's, it's you know, um, Domino was definitely that. It was like the last time we'd seen Pierce was with the Reavers, I think. And it was just sort of a desire to sort of, he was cool. Like there was something interesting about him as one of the Hellfire Club characters. And it's like, well, if there's an opportunity to bring him back, who, you know, would it, would it make sense for him to be the villain in a, in a story about Domino? And you know, again, then searching for the, how do I, how, how do I try and make it make any kind of sense? And yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad it did to you. Yeah, Domino's relationship with her ex-husband, uh, I found particularly compelling. Uh, Alicia, he's talking about Donald Blondie Pierce. Donald Blondie Pierce, yeah, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Up? That's my nickname for him. 
Donald Blondie Pierce. That's how I differentiate <laughs> hair. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the help. You know, when I was first learning about the different characters, that's how I differentiate the Hellfire Club men. Right. Donald Blondie Pierce. Him and Wingard. It's hard. Pretty similar. <laughs> Very similar. Um, I want to ask you one more question. Then I know Justin and Alicia have a few. Uh, there is this. You're not going to expect this question, but maybe you will. You wrote. Uh, you wrote an issue uh, of Black Knight, where you went back and told the origin story of the character Exodus, who yeah. for many years was the kind of John the Baptist to Magneto's Jesus, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the the man who <laughs> who arrogantly decided who would come to Avalon or not, and who tried to kill all the humans. Uh, you know, blah blah blah. He uh, he. The X Men have a government now, and he's a prominent character in their governmental structure. But he's largely a character that remains kind of unexplored still. Now, in your flashbacks in this Black Knight issue, Exodus uh, is revealed to come from France hundreds of years ago. He has a relationship with an old Black Knight character named Aobar Garrington. They appear to be very close, and Aobar's death has an enormous impact on Exodus. And there is chatter uh, that that relationship between Exodus and Aobar was meant to be a homosexual relationship. I wanted to ask you about that. Tell me a little bit about ex uh, Exodus's origins. And is he a closeted homosexual, in your opinion? So at the time that I was working on that one, again, Jim Chung, that was a great pairing. I loved his art. Still yeah, um, right. Uh, at, at the time I was working on that, um, I was reading, I was getting heavily into the Knights Templar. And so an opportunity to do a Black Knight story that, you know, maybe was set around the time of the Crusades. Um, I just thought it was great. I can play in that world. And, you know, one of the the things that was alleged of the the, the Templars, and again, as justification for wanting to arrest them and, and burn them at the stake, which is horrible, um, was this this assertion by the the french papacy that oh that they are you know they are homosexuals like they you know this is this is what these men really are and it's like you know their symbol was two men riding one horse like it's, it's a, they just read into it and they use that as as a way to sort of undermine that organization um there was never an intention to say that yes i wasn't i wasn't trying to land on either side of yes they are or no they're not gay um i kind of wanted to leave it up to the audience to decide. Um, it wasn't like something I felt like, again, I, 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 as, as not being a gay man, I'm only so qualified to tell that kind of story, um, you know, respectfully and properly. So if someone wanted to infer that, totally cool with it, that's fine. If someone wants to just say, oh, these guys are really good friends, then that's fine too. Um, again, this is, you know, late nineties. I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make a stand either way. I was just trying to tell a good story about these two men who had this strong bond. And if someone read into it and felt like, oh, these guys are totally together, that's cool. That's great. Yeah, you know, they, were, that, they were pretty it, gay. <laughs> then, then, you know what? Then so be it. It's just, you know, knowing that, that Dane and Cersei were having this relationship in the present, for him to then end up in his ancestor's body, like it, it brings a whole other layer that I, I couldn't I couldn't do the calculus on that as I was writing the story. I just need to make the narrative work. Um, but but again, there's there's layers of subtext that that, you know, whether intentional or not, um, if, if 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 someone read it and got that from it and it meant something to them, then then yes. then the answer is yes. If they didn't see it, then OK, it's fine. You know, 
the uh what i'm hearing you say though is that there was a lot of thought put into that and its relationship to the knights templar in that era of history which is which is really really important to the understanding of the character of exodus frankly i don't think a lot of writers take time to go back and look into that era of history to give a proper understanding uh but i uh you you did not confirm nor deny but i think he's gay <laughs> <laughs> that's fine hey it's, again i'm not writing the books now so it's not my decision to make <laughs> if, uh, if moira's a mutant then <laughs> anything can happen uh no uh, really beautiful work who's your favorite uh x-men and villain of all time well i mean nightcrawler has been my all-time favorite um just and again it goes it goes back to that splash page where he's perched up on on this, this weird foliage and just uh, just the way there's this, there's this weird symmetry in the way Cochran Cochran drew him in that one shot where he's and maybe it's just because he's so you know it's the blue and the red and the black it all pops so much that he just just my eye was instantly drawn to him of all the characters. Um, he's in the most dynamic pose in that he's like in this weird crouch and it's just like I don't know so 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 I locked in on him there. Um, I always loved his fighting techniques. Um, you know, the, the ability to sort of be in one place and another than another, like, you know, some of my favorite burn panels are the shots of Nightcrawler teleporting and delivering a punch with every teleport from a different angle each time in one shot. It's like, I don't know. And, and just this is personality. I mean, he's, he, you know, you look at him on the outside and, you know, he's, he, he's the reason why they're feared and hated, right? He's the prime example of what everything that's quote unquote wrong with mutants yet has the sunny outlook and disposition and I know they've added a lot of layers of of the religious side of him, um, like his 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 Catholic or is he Christian? I forget what is exactly his specific denomination. I think he's I think he's specifically Catholic. I believe. I so. Okay. So so I'm Jewish. So so that's that you know I don't connect to that as much. But um, but the fact that this is a character of faith who who you know um, it's got a lot going on. I always loved the the intimation of you know mystique's his mother like see, seeing that that moment on in, in the books when it first when she first appeared and they're face to face and you know like it's just it just was really cool like so I, he, just, he and then he became leader of the x-men which seemed unlikely which i kind of liked you know um so he's always been my favorite uh villains wise i mean you know it's it's maybe trite to say magneto but i mean and I know there's a lot of debate about this, about his his Jewish past or whatever, but 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 that that whole, you know, 161 when it's him and 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 Professor X dealing with Strucker and the Nazi gold and hearkening back to to his concentration camp origins, like just I don't know, all that shit really made an impact on me. Um, and I just liked him. What makes him interesting is that he is a perspective character. He's a character who has this point of view on their world and on himself that because it's, you know, he and Charles are opposite sides of the same coin. I think that's just what makes him so compelling. Um, I know that so much has been done with him. I mean, I was in the editorial office during the whole Joseph thing. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I was there. All right. <laughs> I still don't get it. Yeah. Nobody does. So. 
if you if you haven't read uh in in 2008 greg pack and uh and uh, uh carmine de giamenico gian domenico did a series called magneto testament that goes back and tells his origin story over five issues in the concentration camps with his family it's oh, cool absolutely beautiful and it it works it in with like real world events uh it's it's stunning so yeah i i'd highly recommend if you haven't it's uh it's my favorite magneto story easy um <laughs> Did they ever sort of like put that fine point and say he's Jewish or did they play him as, oh, he was in the concentration camps? No, they say he's, but, from, he's, he's from a Jewish family. Uh, no, and then, sweet. and then you get to see Magda uh, the, who becomes uh, his wife as part of the yeah. series and you meet his family and they all die. And it's, it's, it's a beautifully done book. Uh, yeah. And then Colin Bunn had a really great uh, Magneto series a few years back. That was just incredible. Um, yeah. Both highly recommended. Uh, Justin and Alicia, let me turn it over to you guys. What questions do you have for Ben today? Yes, so this kind of goes off of something that you were saying earlier, Ben, about recognizing, oh, what what plot lines or characters have we not done anything with? What what needs wrapping up? It sounds very editor-like, you know, and I, did, I just wanted to, to talk about what being involved in the editing process and how that might have influenced you as a writer and informed what could be done or what could be tied together, I think is really interesting. Yeah, I... You know, as as an assistant editor, you're you're on the you know you share an office with your editor who tends to make the majority of the decisions with the writers, right? Uh, we had a you know the couple of years I was there, we had a few different X Men summits where you know, we got five books in our office plus the satellite books and in, in the other offices. Um, so you know Scott Lobdell, Fabian Nicieza, uh, Larry Hama, um, you know would come in, Jeff Loeb. Um, would come in and we'd sort of talk like, okay, here's the plan for the year. Here's the plan for the summer event. Um, you know, when I started, I was there, I, I came on just as we were gearing up for age of apocalypse. So, you know, Phalanx covenant was already in motion and, you know, it's going to lead to the Legion quest is going to lead to, you know, age of apocalypse. Um, so I, I, I got to sort of see how, the creatives and the editor kind of interacted with each other. And, and, you know, Bob Harris was a very um, soap opera minded writer um, in his own writing on Avengers, uh, heavily influenced by um, the Star Trek shows, um, which although not quite soap operatic, except for like DS9 was, was obviously heavily uh, more of a, you know, serialized. Um, he, he, he used that, as sort of the the model for how we were going to tell stories and especially knowing that you know the editorial publishing mandate was like we need these events at least once a year and you got to build to it you got to earn it you got to make it you know it can't just you can't just say and now it's happening it has to you know be constructed so um so there was always a, an attention to those details like what what's going to make the most sense what is something that we're that's been set up ignore it and could we could potentially pay off um and so that's just that just became kind of my my mo for approaching story was like you know it, it, it's it's hard to come up with something from whole cloth but if you've got a that one thread where you're like what if this went somewhere this thing that we hit a dead end on and just ignored or forgot about if i were to use that as a starting point where do i go with it and that became my my plan but it's just such an interesting way to reinvest in the continuity and the characters that like these are things that are already happening or, or being talked mm -hmm. about. 
and it's coming from a natural place. It feels like it's not, as you're saying, you know, this this new threat coming out of nowhere or something. It's something embedded in the past already. You set me up perfectly for my question. Um, Maybe I I'm a mutant. Oh, <laughs> uh, I personally really love the the what if series and that concept. And so I was wondering if there was another what if story that you could write. What would you choose? Mm. That's a good one. Um, gosh, I got to write a couple that I really didn't want to write. Um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, Thank you. I, you know what my my first thought went to, and it's it's X Men adjacent. It's it it is sort of a it's what if Guardian hadn't died, but they already did that. You know what I mean? And 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 I only say that because it was such a a moment that was one of the the greatest in in my like adolescent reading experience was watching the countdown as he's about to get blown up. And and Heather comes in and, and and watches him die right in front of her. Like it just so it's like like part of me is like I want to undo that. I want him back because like, it's one of my favorite heroes. And 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 again, they came out of the X books and got me in love with that that group. But uh, but just like with when they brought Gene back, it's like you're kind of undoing these great deaths, you yeah. know. Um, so I don't know if maybe I wouldn't write that. I don't know. God, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I, what I would really like, I'd like to see, I, I want to see one of the what ifs I did end up on the show. That's, that's yeah. what I want to see. Well, it's that's funny because uh, when I saw that, that I guess AC Bradley, the head writer, had had said that in, in I guess in the Vanity Fair article, mentioned that they want to do like a, a Spider-Man thing, like a, a body horror thing. And I was like, oh, I happen to have written a body horror Spider-Man what if. And I and I, I tweeted that and she actually responded. She's like, yeah, we, we wanted to, we pitched that and they're like, you can't do Spider-Man. So it was like, I was like, oh, wow, that was really cool that you actually, you know, she's like, and we read your, like that issue was an inspiration. I was like, well, that's, that's really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not gonna, not gonna happen, I guess. Oh, well. Well, there's gonna be multiple seasons of that show. So maybe not yet, but could yeah. still happen. Yeah. Keep your was, hope alive. That was well, a really scary fucking book you wrote about Spider-Man and that what if issue, the, uh, well, the like arachnophobia one. That was, that was nuts. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole, Again, just playing on the premise. Radiation <laughs> creates mutations, right? In in the Marvel universe. So had he not, I, I Spider-Man obviously didn't become a mutant. He wasn't born a mutant, but what if his son was born a mutant? That was just that's really it was like I'm doing an X-Men story with a Spider-Man character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so I'm gonna cap it was so much fun uh, telling you about Moira. I'm gonna t- <laughs> I'm going to tell you the fate of one more character. The, the characters you wrote have been through a lot. Uh, I'm just going to tell you one. Wol- Wolvesbane, who okay. is uh, a beloved character, has been in several books since you wrote her. In one, she uh, she goes mad as a wolf and eats her own father. Then she mates with the wolf god in Asgard, Ahrimhari, and has a child named Tyr, who later gets killed by a strong guy to save the world. Uh, <laughs> then she gets beat to death by a group of humans and has now been resurrected on Krakoa. So uh, let's capture your Moira. reaction <laughs> to that beautiful story about Wolfsbane. <laughs> um, well, that's weird. Uh, 
I mean, look, you know, <laughs> these characters, they go through some shit. Um, <laughs> if they want to have any longevity, you're going to go through some shit. Uh, I remember, you know, New Mutants was a spinner rack book for me when that first came out and uh, got the, you know, got the graphic novel when it came out on the stands, bought it off the stands. Um, always liked Rain. I thought she was such a great character. Um, you know, she got that Annie Lennox hair thing going. Uh, it was very 80s. Um, super cool, though. Uh, but, you know, there was always this sort of like tragic side to her, you know, um, always so like repressed by her own upbringing. So I, I'm so surprised to me that she would eat her father. That guy was probably a dick. Um, he probably had it coming. Uh, <laughs> he was the worst. <laughs> the worst. Um, but uh, I think you know that's that's a, that's a journey for her. I'm glad she's back. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I I, 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 listen, I, I missed the mutants thing that that Scarlet Witch did. I, like I wasn't reading the books at that, that time, and so I understand like there was a like a serious cleaning of house, um, which you know I, I get on some level. It, 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 it bums me out to just sort of arbitrarily or randomly kill off characters because then it's like the, they don't just don't tell their stories for a little while and then you want to bring them back do some a different spin on them then there's a story to tell as opposed to oh they're dead and now we're just going to bring them back um but you know uh, death has meant very little in the marvel universe for pretty much its entirety Mutants can literally be resurrected now, so you can die over and over again. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stories happening. So, but, okay, but what about everybody else? Like, nope. so nobody knows. <laughs> Top secret. It's a big secret. <laughs> so, like, it's so like, all right, Moira's snapping her fingers. Black Elias not coming back. Or <laughs> Giant Man, right? What, the reason when, the Civil War. When Moira dies. It erases the whole timeline, yeah, and she has to start again as a baby in the womb, like conscious. Like I made you so upset. <laughs> is, she, is she growing at like regular like Avengers two hundred speed? No, regular <laughs> speed. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Oh my god, Avengers two hundred is the worst. <laughs> okay, so that's not what's happening with her. Well, here's here's where we can catch Alicia's live reaction to something. In Avengers 200, there's a variant of Kang the Conqueror, Scarlet Centurion, who comes back in time and basically mind controls Captain Marvel, the character Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, uh, makes her his mate and gets her pregnant. And then the pregnancy is advanced and she, like, within a couple of days, gives birth to the same person who came back in time and raped her. No. She, she gives birth to that child. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's a horrific. special double-sized <laughs> issue. Oh, my Lanta. There's some problems across Marvel's history. <laughs> I mean, that's a journey for that character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys. Uh, how, ben, what, uh, what a delight to hear some of your thoughts uh, and to honor some of your work today. Um, as we release this uh, this podcast, we'll be sharing some of, of, of your quotes and some of your work on online. Uh, uh, and I, again, what a what a huge honor! I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan, and I guarantee I'm not the only one. Uh, but we'll be creating some more fans as we talk this through. 
So with today, we're going to take a, a dive back into X-Men number 31, which whew, is an issue. It, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot going on. Um, let's get our reactions just initially to the cover of the book. What stands out to you guys? What do you like about this cover? Uh, we get this character who's Iron Man looking called the Cobalt Man. Uh, firing a laser at Iceman through his shield, uh, the X-Men kind of reacting in the background. Uh, what did you enjoy here? I mean, look, I think that cover, I, it's, actually, it's a very striking cover, I will say. Um, so I actually do have this issue. I, I couldn't read it because it's stuck in my storage space at the bottom of all my comic boxes, buried. Um, <laughs> but So I had to read it online. But when I got that book, um, I did it after my bar mitzvah. My mom let me take $300 of my bar mitzvah money in 1983 and use that to, to buy comics. And I just bought a fuck ton of X-Men books. I'm sorry. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah you can say fuck uh, Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so I bought a bunch of them and, and that was one of them. And that was one of those books that I was like, yeah, I'm going to get this one. This looks interesting. Um, you know, covers. So it's a, it I does. Oh, go ahead. It does. Uh, my biggest pet peeve of a cover is making me think something's going to happen that doesn't happen. And this all seems pretty legit to me. Yeah. It um, all checks out. Yeah. It checks out. So I'm happy with it. The only thing I'd like to remove, which seems to be um, just a constant on these covers is Charles at the top. <laughs> he's headache, headache. Part of the logo. Oh, he's so upset, you know, uh, but other than that, I think it's, it's tells you that this is going to be a struggle and you know, gives you a little flavor of what everybody's going through. Yeah. So I'm into it. And sporting this knockoff Iron Man coming yeah. in strong. I, I do love the call out bonus. Don't miss a, our gripping glimpses into the private lives of Marvel's much maligned mutants, which, you know, gradually becomes more and more the focus of the soap opera tales. And I really loved getting into that here. <laughs> Now, as we open the book, uh, there is a lot of soap opera in this one, which is really fun. Let me read the credits. Uh, and we're leaning in hard into the periodic table. It says, let's hear it from Marvel's Mary, Mary, excuse me. Let's hear it from Mary Marvel's own peerless periodic table. Good as gold editing by Stan Lee. Solid, solid silver scripting by Roy Thomas. Platinum plated penciling by Werner Roth. Iridium bright inking by John Tartaglione. And lead-lined lettering by Sam Rosen, stable elements all. That stable elements pun made me laugh out loud <laughs> because it's a chemistry joke. Uh, fun fact, which we will not go into, the Avengers have some bad guys called the Elements of Doom, and it's literally every element off of the periodic table in a monster form, and they just fight all of the elements, <laughs> and it's kind of great. But we won't- I have that issue. Here. <laughs> they come back in Thunderbolts once, I think. I'd have to go back and, and review, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. So as we open the book, we get to see Angel dodging a flamethrower, kind of flying above some smoke, uh, and Iceman and uh, Cyclops and Beast are all trying to help him put out a fire. The room is filled with smoke. Iceman has to generate a large ice pole uh, to help Angel and Beast get out of the smoke, and they slide down his ice pole <laughs> as Professor X finally turns on the fans and, and, uh, and clears things up. Now, I don't know if we ever really got an understanding about what caused the fire. Was it a training exercise? Did someone leave their toast in the oven too long? But it's kind of a little action-y space to open the book with as the characters are, uh, are really struggling to put this fire out. Um, we also get some great references to Beast's size 13 feet, which he calls his pedal extremities. <laughs> what happened here? Do you guys have any theories? Well, I mean, no. I, I assume this is danger room, right? This yeah. is like 
an un, you know, we haven't set location. We haven't really given sense, but him putting them through their paces was clearly the order of the day back then, right? Because what you're going to do to adolescents is going to put them in situations that could, could potentially kill them. Yeah. Um, it's it's just Charles's ability to finish it all off by touching a button on a wall it makes me feel like, ah, Charles, you did this, didn't you? You old rascal. Classic Charles. We get that, uh, that splash page of Angel is kind of fun. You get this kind of wide shot of him flying to avoid the flames uh, with his wings spread. It's, 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 uh, it's a great image by Werner Roth, which is really fun. I love his, his old Angel work. Um, as, we, as we delve into the book a little bit, we get a reminder that Angel was recently injured in a battle. He's doing much better now, back when they were fighting Kukul Khan. We also get reference to the fact that Mimic just left the team after losing his powers a couple of issues ago. Uh, and as as Beast slides down uh, Iceman's ice pole, he comments on his frostbitten fingers, which, <laughs> which is delightful. Uh, um, we also get to see Professor X reminding us that the threat of kind of factor three is off in the distance. He quickly uh, summarizes that they've fought Banshee and Ogre and the super adaptoid and that fuck God, the fucking warlock. If you guys haven't read X-Men 30, it's... <laughs> Oof, he's the worst. He's the worst X-Men villain ever. He's so gross. Uh, <laughs> we also see Xavier, uh, as the X-Men are planning what to do with some of their time off, Xavier scans Cyclops's thoughts and realizes, you should spend some time with Jean. Let me send you off to Metro College to return some books. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the other X-Men are all off to have a day off so Xavier can perform some experiments in the basement. What were some of your thoughts on these interactions with the team on the first few pages? Mind your business, Charles. <laughs> Just play a matchmaker. It's inappropriate. It's, They're your students. It's, it's inappropriate. Yeah. He's just trying to bring people together. He can hear Listen. everything and he's just trying to play matchmaker. I'm also just not having the context immediately, but his dodge of, uh, there's no need for you to help Cyclops. I need to do these alone. These are private experiments. I'm like, man, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's watching porn. <laughs> With mice later on. Like, I don't know. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> I, I will say I, in reading these, these issues, like I just love hearing or in my head, hearing the language and the way yes. in which they're written and the, just the, I don't know. It's just so charming, but also just makes me shake my head a little bit and just be grateful that I read comics now. Um, and I wasn't a girl reading these comics. Um, but overall, you know, it's a it's a wholesome family going out to do what they got to do on the weekend. Yeah. But it does make you wonder, like, is this how people really talk? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Did they say things like this? Yeah. I feel like we have to put this in the context of like the 60s Batman TV show, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's what was running at the time. You got these like uh these kind of action heroes. Marvel did break the trend and give, you know, a little more soap opera and pathos and self-doubt to all the characters, which is fun, but yeah, they definitely talk larger than life. We get two key moments on page four as well. We get Angel and Cyclops basically sitting down and uh, they're going to go to Metro College together. They're riding in Angel's little fancy sports car because he's a billionaire and they're going to make Gene choose between them. Although uh, Angel's been flirting with Gene for a while 
Cyclops has been standing off in the background and they've been thinking, oh, when will he make a move? When will she notice me for, you know, five years now? So the fact that they're going to like give her an ultimatum finally is uh, is pretty momentous. Uh, we, uh, we also, well, uh, well, thoughts on that first, uh, Angel, Angel versus Scott for Jean's affections. Yeah, that's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, it's like, we're going to decide who she's going to have to pick. She's going to pick one of us or, or else what? What if she's like, I don't like either of you fools. What if she chooses none of you? What if she chooses Ted? Yeah. Right. Roberts, who we all remember. Ted's got a fighting chance. Ted's going to school. Right, Ted, Ted gives. She's got a brother who's you know going places. Yeah. And granted, Warren comes from money. Cyclops, you know, Scott's got nothing. Warren's coming from money, so you know that's that's what he's. By the way, that's what he is trafficking on. Is I'm the I'm the rich kid here. Yes. So of I course. got a shot. Right. How could she possibly say no? <laughs> I picked up Scott in my Mustang to just just to make him feel better for him losing this battle. I would have oh. to walk all the way to the college with all these right. books. We also get kind of a rare glimpse into Beast's vulnerability for just a moment, which is kind of cute. So I'm going to read his thought bubbles out loud. He's he's putting on socks on his giant ass feet, and he says, "Special." Wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Size thirteen? It's not that big, right? It's not like it's like seventeen. I'm size. I'm size (laughs) twelve. He's 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 not like you know Shaq. I mean, this is true. Anyway. So I wonder what the average shoe size in 1967 was. I, maybe he's like a mutant 13. Well, and, I, yeah, and also it's a wide 13, I'm assuming. Yeah. You know, his, his feet just look very big. We have images when, uh, <laughs> yes. when, when Mimic would adapt his powers, his feet would like grow larger than his shoes. When he's adapting Beast's power powers, his feet would like, and his shoes would like break, right? So like they're they're big. But Beast is thinking, special socks, oversized shoes, this being a mutant isn't all one might hope. Mutant. It's only here that the word can be spoken without arousing fear and hatred. Here I'm a mutant, an X-Men. Out there, I'm nothing but a misshapen freak or worse. So I take refuge behind a vocabulary and would get half, give half my life if I could have been born, dot, 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 a mere homo sapiens. Uh, oh, Beast, he needs a hug. Yeah. Which I think is is cool to give some understanding as to where a lot of his his pursuit into studies come from, but also just what is going on internally. The fact that he would give to be a, a mere Homo sapiens just he's really struggling with the hand he's been dealt. It also puts into perspective the way he he says like a mere Homo sapiens. Like right. I'm trying to build up that being a mutant is better. But I really don't feel that way deep inside my soul. I just think it's, it's funny to watch his Hank McCoy's evolution as, as a person um, from from this sort of, you know, self self-loathing to going down the road of trying to fix this, having it go horribly wrong and then just sort of learning to embrace himself is a very like that's you know, very, you know, positive message, I think, that, that you know, that that character sort of you know went through before they started doing all these other changes to him like again i go back to my childhood when i was reading the books and like him as an avenger he was the, the wisecracker he was the one that was always that kind of you know loved what he was he was a celebrity because of what he was and then and see his early days like when you go back you know i got these books and then i went back and read it and i was like well this is a very different character than the one that i started with it's it's pretty cool 
Oh, Ben, Ben, Ben. <laughs> if Beast, only you knew. Beast, Beast, when you were on the books, was like the scientist in the lab coat trying to cure the legacy virus, right? In the last 20 years, he has become basically Mr. Sinister. He is the leader of the mutant CIA. He's like overthrowing countries and having people killed. He's completely morally bankrupt. So <laughs> if you have uh, if you have two and a half hours, we have an episode on Gray Malkin where we put him on trial and talk about his psychology and history and depth. Uh, so as we're reading these 60s books, we're like, oh, this beast is so much nicer because we fucking hate him in the comics now. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we, love, we love to hate him. He's, he's yeah. terrible, but you know, he adds some flavor. Sure. <laughs> um, okay. I would and just yeah. like to let you all know that the average shoe size for a man in 1967 was a seven. So. Oh, 13 was very big then. There you it, go. It was Thank you, Google. <laughs> uh, Alicia, would you take page five and, uh, and, uh, and tell us a little bit about what happens with Gene at Metro College? Oh, well, we can't possibly forget that we have one feminine member of the X-Men. So we need to we need to get that out there first and foremost. And we really need to talk about her social life and the boys that chase her. Um, So she's hanging out at college. She's chatting it up with Ted and um, his brother, Ralph, is finally coming by for a visit. So Ralph arrives and he and Ted have this little boasting session in front of Jean to decide, you know, who's stronger, who's better. And the obvious choice is to hop into some gym clothes and head over to the newly renovated stadium for some pole vaulting. And, um, you know, while they're doing this, Ralph breaks his pole, it snaps in half and he thinks, no problem. I can just land like a cat on my feet. However, a crossbar sort of gets in his way and he hits his head and falls to the ground. Um, he can't have his manhood questioned by calling a doctor. So he shakes it off. He's fine. And they're going to go get some food. Um, so they, they carry on, they get their food. And this is when Scott and Warren arrive and, you know, poor Scott is just a little upset that there's another group of men in his way of getting to Gene and Warren just basically isn't having it. So, you know, they eat, they chat, they learn that uh, before, I think it's, hold on. Yeah, no, okay. They learn before that, that uh, Ralph has been working for Anthony Stark and he's, he's had enough of that. So Ted's talking him up about that, but he's like, no, this, I've got something better for you. I've started my own lab. I'm out on my own. And so the team, the crew decide they're going to go check out the lab. But Warren is like, you know what? I think I'll just go look for some ladies on my own. Um, So I'll see you guys later. We're catching up a little bit with Hank and Bobby. They're trying to charm some ladies. There's some poetry happening that they're just really not into. Bobby's freezing the coffee. He's like, get out of here. Gives him the signal. The, The poet leaves. And Warren, Warren makes his way to what he thought was a pizza place, which is now a club. And he runs into an old friend, Candy Southern. And uh, then Gene, Scott, Ted and Ralph, they get to the lab. And Ralph is like, you know what would be really fun, Scott and Gene? You can look at these slides. Here you go. Have the best time ever. And then he pulls his brother aside and he's like, I have to show you something. Mystery. So, you know, it's a lot of... um fighting for Jean's attention or female attention. Yeah. I, I just, 
it's it's stuck out to me the fact that oh four guys <laughs> trying to get Gene's attention must feel right at home you know this just this is just like we're back in the mansion all these guys and I don't even have to say or do anything they just love me these four pages are somehow like very Scooby-Doo to me. Yes. There's yes. so much like you get like the beat mix dancing and the go-go coffee shop and, and the and the club. Uh, the the two brothers, so Ralph and Ted, they they are in a rivalry and their initial reaction is pole vaulting, which is like who has the bigger dick, like in literal form. <laughs> show me, show me how much you got, how quick. Oh uh, uh, ben, are you familiar with the character of Cobalt Man? If so, like tell me some of your thoughts about this character. I mean, just obviously just from this issue, you know, like not not a uh, guy who made a huge impression on the on the Marvel Universe. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, obviously he's a Tony Stark knockoff. And <laughs> I mean, he's really got a beef like he's got some serious beef yeah. with, with Tony Stark and doesn't seem to like the secrecy. So like this guy is I don't know, something about him feels very like. I don't know. He's a little QAnon to me, just a little conspiracy theorist. Like, why isn't he reporting this stuff to the government? You know, I'm going to get him to, to give up what he's got. I don't know. It's very, very odd, dude. Um, but he could have been a player if not for this head injury. Yeah. I mean, it's his very, entire future is derailed by a pole vaulting misstep. It's very sad. He's very like the guy who hit his peak in like high school football. And then like has never gotten past it. Do you get you guys know the type I'm talking about? Like the world oh, owes what? something. Yes. Uh, he's latching on to the past. Uh, but he has some talent. He, he's it feels like he's got something to prove, clearly. Um, I, I mean, I mean, spoilers, Ralph Roberts becomes the cobalt man. But uh just on on the topic of this character, what did you guys think of him as a villain? We're gonna get into like what he does in this issue, but is he an effective villain? Did you enjoy him here? It makes me feel like I'm not being a good enough big brother because I'm not ever always terrifying or terrorizing and, and smack talking my little brother all the time. Like it just gives me, wow, if I really wanted to be a jerk, I could be. I could be like Ralph. I could be like Ralph. I mean, he definitely has the the buildup to become a villain. But I think what it was for me was that he was just sort of like showing off what he's got. And then all of a sudden his concussion clicked in and he was now now I'm evil and that for me was the hardest thing to get my head around was like yeah he wanted to be better than Iron Man but he said like something just like snaps in him randomly and because his head doesn't feel right and I think he has a lot of there was there was the potential for him to be gave me very um like new Mysterio Spider-Man movie vibes you know this like i'm upset because tony stark has wronged me he's using my work and i'm going to take that and you know go against him and i think there was potential for him but didn't really hit home for me and what a disgruntled employee he's got the disgruntled employee vibe yeah right i mean it's 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 that classic trope that is exacerbated by a, a head injury i can't i don't believe it i think it was already there i think i think that's that's just his brother's sort of, you know, deduction. Oh, this is what caused it. It's like, no, dude, your brother was was, was wrong. He was wrong in the head from the jump. He's That's been, why they fired him. He's been snorting cobalt in his lab for a while. I think so. <laughs> I think I think he's yeah. He's he's been exposed to a few too many elements that he shouldn't have, and and here we are. I don't think he's a terrible brother though. I think you know. Actually, he's like, look, hey, bro, I want to show you my stuff. 
Like, that's cool. My brother never did that for me. Want to be an evil villain with me? <laughs> Want to be my guy in the chair? If you put this in context just a little bit, Roy Thomas for the last several issues has been uh, bringing in new villains one after another. And a lot of them are just like crazy mad villains. The Locust and, you know, El Tigre who becomes Kukul Khan. We had Banshee who turned out to be a hero with, with Ogre who's just, well, and then the the warlock was just this evil, you know, blah, gross, gross. But this guy actually has like a backstory. There's a little bit of character and heart here. We get we get time to flesh him out. It's also been seeded for a while because Ted Roberts has been talking about his brother for several issues in a row. So we get to see this guy. I kind of like him in a way. And he has a little more staying power than you think. Uh, he comes back into the X-Men in a few more issues. So I'm going to wait to reveal what happens to him after. But he's shown up in the Marvel Universe uh, as recently as just a few years ago. So he's been around in the background and just kind of pops up once in a while, but he's not a common villain. Uh, but Moira! <laughs> <laughs> but he does, he does have some staying power. My favorite thing in the 60s comics is the coffee a go-go. Uh, so when we get there, we get Beast with uh, with Vera, who's my favorite, and Iceman with Zelda, who's his beard. And they're sitting at the table and Bernard the Poet is spouting off ridiculous, just the beatnik poetry stuff you covered. Um, uh, Bernard the Poet is a mutant uh, who has the power to make people basically love his poetry. <laughs> it's a really nonsensical story that gets told in a backstory but, uh, years in the future. But he's fucking ridiculous. And I, I love everything about him. <laughs> That's a, I, I did like that 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 coffee shop came back because I felt like was reading this issue and I was like, oh, the last time we were on Gray Malkin Lane, we got to go to this coffee shop and now we're back there and the girls are still there. Like, I feel familiar. It's nice to see them have their outside lives. Um, but I just don't enjoy that their outside lives are constantly surrounded by like getting a girl. <laughs> yeah, 60s teens. I think that's what you did. Do something else. The uh, the other pieces we get to see the girls swooning over Bernard and like Beast and Iceman are like what the what the hell who is this guy like he's terrible it's 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 genuinely funny. Um, we also see Angel break away. He's he sees that Gene is in competition with more people and he's done. He's like I'm done. I'm going out on my own. And he gets to meet the character Candy Southern. This is the first appearance of Candy Southern. Alicia, are you familiar with Candy Southern? Am I? I am. Oh, <laughs> I nod my head because I'm like, well, yes, kind of. Uh, she was in the Phoenix Saga. Yeah, I remembered her name, but I was like, what'd she do? I don't know. Ben, how about you? Are you familiar with Candy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, she's from my, uh, I'm also from Nassau County, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I'd so, like to know which town. <laughs> Candy? She's only in a couple of issues of the original X-Men run. Uh, She and Warren have a backstory. They knew each other in school, but she has a pretty strong staying power in the Marvel Universe. She appears sporadically over years uh, in Incredible Hulk and Defenders and Hulk and, uh, excuse me, I'm I'm reading the the wrong chronology. She she appears in uh, Marvel Fanfare and Marvel 2-in-1, Incredible Hulk, X-Men The Hidden Years, John Byrne's old series, she, she shows up a lot. She's in Kesar and the Avengers and X-Factor. And when Angel joins the new Defenders, she becomes kind of a primary uh, character on the team. She like leads the Defenders team for a while. Uh, uh, Justin, do you know what eventually happens to her? Are you familiar with the story? Oh, yes. She died. Tell, tell us. <laughs> she died. And uh, it's actually, I think it's Cameron. 
Hodges. Yeah, first. Cameron Hodge and the Phalanx Covenant. She yes. she dies in like an angel storyline. Um, uh, Connor Goldsmith on the Cerebro cast recently did a uh, a long episode about Candy Southern. And I've seen like Candy, Candy Southern t-shirts being sold. Like people are in love with this character who's been gone for 30 years, which uh, this is her first appearance and I love her. Uh, if you listen, if you listen to Cerebrocast, he uh, Connor does a a ad during his cast in the voice of Candy Southern. He's like, "Hey, cool cats, it's me, Candy Southern. I'm here to sell you this product," and it's it's actually really adorable. Amazing. <laughs> I will put I will put twenty dollars on her showing up on Krakoa. Maybe <laughs> maybe they'll maybe she's a mutant too. <laughs> Everyone's a mutant. No. Um. So, so the uh, Cyclops and Jean and Ted have gone with Ralph back to his little plant where he's experimenting with Cobalt and he's going on and on about all the amazing things Cobalt can do and his big plans for this company. He's quit Iron Man's job and he's like going to launch his own. And uh, he knows that Cobalt is really dangerous. It can make you go crazy. He's developed a suit of armor that looks like a blue Iron Man suit, basically. Uh, but it's kind of striking. I think it's kind of cool, actually. Uh, and he warns Ted, like, if I keep this armor on for more than a couple of hours, it's basically going to kill me. It's going to melt my brain. But look at all the amazing things he can do. And he jumps through the <laughs> roof and he lands and he's immediately like, oh, fuck my head. Like, I'm dizzy. I'm a little bit worried about what's happening. And when Ted is concerned, Cobalt Man just slaps him across the face and knocks him unconscious. Then he just goes full crazy. Maybe it's his head injury. Maybe it's the cobalt or maybe he's just a fucking bad guy. But he destroys the machine uh, that, that, will, that will stop him or, or regulate his armor and decides he's going to go after uh, Tony Stark and uh, take him down. It's a very abrupt change. He goes from like, let me show you the armor to like, I'm full on supervillain, like snap the fingers. It's time. Yes. What did you guys think of these interactions? It was. It just felt like, hey, you know, let's leave these losers and go check out my cool super suit. You know, I, I've been working on this other thing, and I need to show you. And then he just he goes off. I think it's odd that he did not leave them supervised. Right. That yeah. He's basically like letting them have the, lay, the the run of his his you know laboratory, and he's just like, I'm gonna go show my brother this shit. And these two <laughs> people are dead. I could just like wander off and like, what else is this guy up to? Right. Um. So it's not a very smart villain. Not, and also not really concerned about corporate secrets. So he's an irresponsible yeah. business owner as far as I'm concerned. Well, because that, that's his big thing is that, oh, Iron Man's identity is secret. You know, I'm going to tell everyone and I'm going to share Cobalt Man with the world. He's got a very laissez-faire policy about uh, what, what, you know, what is public knowledge and what isn't. Right. He's sort of, uh, what, what is it, uh, freeware, basically. He's like, this is all just freeware. You can take yeah. it. He's forgotten all the non-disclosure agreements that Iron Man made him sign. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, back then it would have been Tony Stark. People back then thought that Iron Man was Tony Stark's bodyguard. That was the that was the premise in the '60s. So, uh, anyway, he's pissed at Tony Stark. Uh, Justin, will you take uh, will you take page eleven and uh, tell us a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. So Scott and Gene hear the noises of Cobalt Man destroying the lab and immediately respond. We get some some thought bubbles about their equal frustrations over missing Scott's shot and asking out Jean. It's happening throughout the issue. All these guys pining after her, but she is aware of it, at least from Scott. And it makes me think like, where is the line for a telepath to interfere or not when they know someone's intentions? Like you can make a move, Jean, come on, let's go. But you can't make a move in the sixties. Sure. <laughs> oh, it's some, 
some creeping armor. Scott's going to save the day. No, Jean also has her suit and they're both going to do it. A quick change into their uniforms and Cobalt Man recognizes them as X-Men. Of course, two of the X-Men masked just like Iron Man. You must be his friends and like him, traitors. (laughs) Bro, look in the mirror. You've got a mask on yourself. Also, between the X-Men and Iron Man, there's no connection. There was like a, a, a handful of quick jumps to grasp at these straws. And I love it. Uh, he fires at the two of them with repulsor rays that are absolutely not like Iron Man's. They are far superior and should never be compared to Iron Man's repulsor rays at all. And then we we continue on into an all-out action sequence in the time where we describe what we're doing as we do it, giving displays of everyone's powers, but also the concern they have in using their abilities in battle. Scott wants to stop his swing attack because not only can he not fire his optic blast, but he might swing into Gene. And something happens where they become trapped under this, this large cab and they are able to reach out, radio for help to Xavier as he's interrupted in his experiments. The only detail we get in this issue about what Xavier was up to when he told Scott he wanted to be alone for his experiments. So he's sitting there with mice and test tubes and beakers. What are you doing, Charles? Why is it that you can only mentally call forward your students' pleas for help? Like you have no interest in getting involved. I cannot be distracted from my work. Pass the message along to the others. And, and he does, thankfully. So we, we catch back up at Coffee A Go-Go. Beast dance move prowess, making him a little self-conscious of his, his bestial abilities. As he gets this mental summons from the professor, pardon our dust gals, but we got to split. And I do, I do love that. We see, we see a lot of this. It's the promise on the cover, this super love. The, the issue illustrating in the many ways how difficult it is to maintain a relationship while also being a teen superhero. And Warren talking up Xavier's to Candy, so much so that she wants to apply. This is, I, I want to give Warren a shout out. Like he knows how to duck out on a lady for super heroics. First, you set up the next date and then you leave. You don't just run out Bobby and Hank. Jeez, come on. Like you get this mental recap of Warren's love moves as now he's all about candy. Their, their relationship continues from here for a while, I believe, but I just, I just love that. He's like, all right, well, no, I gave up on Jean. I mentally, I've, I've released her from my pursuits and now I have full focus on candy Southern. Let's go call up the Mustang and, and fire away. There are some incredible moments. Uh, first of all, we do learn next issue what Professor X is doing in this basement experimenting. Do you guys have any guesses? What's he trying to do? Some of that mouse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It looks like genetic experiments to me. Right? So uh, slight, spoilers, slight spoilers for next issue. He's trying to build a machine that will remove the juggernaut's powers. Hmm. And again, slight spoilers, something goes wrong and Juggernaut ends up with Charles's powers. So next issue isn't bonkers. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, Wait, one question, though. Is, is this, I'm trying to remember, because this is, what, 31. So we're 11 issues away from the death of Charles, the death of Professor X. Mm-hmm. So is this okay. even charles right is this changeling yes no i think this is still pretty pretty so, much okay. charles right up until toward the end okay 
because we we haven't met the changeling yet. Uh, I think once the changeling comes in, I think that's when Charles recruits the changeling. Uh, after that, we'll get into that at a few more issues. There's so much I don't know. <laughs> There's so much old continuity. It's crazy. Um, Gene and Scott, we've been waiting for 30 fucking issues and they're finally ready to talk and a goddamn super villain <laughs> intervenes. They still don't talk to each other. God damn it. Uh, uh, ben, we'll capture your live reaction to this. In the current comics, Scott and Gene and Wolverine are in a three-way relationship. I've heard about that. Okay, sure. I mean, you know, it's it's almost probably about time. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised... Logan's good with that, but I I mean, you know, listen. They're they're like implying it without directly stating it. That's kind of how they're playing it. I see. Okay. Connected doors. Connected bedrooms. Here's the thing that that gives all of this, like the the, the Beast Iceman, you know, their social lives, a whole new context, right? Iceman came out, correct? In like, in the early 2000s, yeah. Oh, geez, I'm I'm so far behind. Um, So it's like all this it, you know, with the lens of looking back through who he truly is, takes on a whole different perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here's the real tragedy, and I'll be I'll keep be very brief here. There's a storyline where the original X-Men come into the future, and teenage Iceman in the future learns or comes out. He's gay, he dates, he has a boyfriend, but then they get sent back in the past and his mind is wiped. So it's even more tragic when you like stack up all the continuity because he's like fully realized as a teen in the future, but back here, back here, he's still closeted. Wow. Crazy. Uh, What are your thoughts on Beast and Vera dancing? I think it's great. It's adorable. (laughs) I love it. Doing the monkey, of course. (laughs) Of course the Beast knows how to do the monkey. Come on. (laughs) I also love that we get the girls commenting as Beast and Iceman run away. They're like, oh my God, they're like ditching us again. Fuck. (sighs) Yeah. This is becoming Why are we still hanging out with these guys? What's happening with us? Whereas Candy is so chill about it all. It's uh, it's great. Uh, between, oh, go ahead. have got a backup plan. You know, we're, we're hanging out tomorrow. I don't got to worry. I know you, you're, you still want to hang out with me. You're not just running off with your friend. Between uh, uh, Vera, uh, Zelda, and Candy, who's your favorite? Ooh. I don't know. Those coffee girls got some good jokes. So they got options. Bernard's sitting right there. Yeah. Maybe Uh, that's what happens. They're like, okay, they left. Let's go hang out with Bernard now. Right. Vera is often romantically connected to the mimic in the future as well. Uh, But but also with Beast. I would love to see Vera back in the comics. I love her. I have a weird affection for Vera Cantor, although she's such a bit character. Um, If you guys noticed as well, we have two different pages where we get to see song lyrics in the background. One of the songs playing is by the Monkees and another is by the Rolling Stones. So that kind of centers us into the 1960s very firmly, which is uh, delight, delightful. Um, when we get back to the lab, Scott and Jean find, oh, oh, we have to comment on Professor X. He's doing his experiment. He gets the summons and he literally kind of like says out loud, well, they're just in danger, but they're not going to die. So it's fine for me to just keep doing my experiments. Yeah. Fuck you, Charles Xavier. <laughs> Listen. Not worth my time. If you haven't. I, I got a weekend to myself. I've got my mice queued up. I've got these things to do. Charles, if you haven't un- if you haven't got this from me yet, Ben, um, I despise Charles Xavier. So this is he's just, like the this, worst headmaster ever. This is just par for the course. 
He doesn't care about you unless he's going to get something out of you. And right now he's getting something out of himself. (laughs) Then I told you we have a two and a half hour episode on the beast. We also have a two and a half hour episode on Charles Xavier. And he's like extraordinarily like Machiavellian. We, we like see him as like the big supervillain that the X-Men face in the long run. He's like the worst of the ball. It has that's sort of been, again, haven't been reading, but from what I'm seeing on the outside, it looks like they've kind of like they've done that to a lot of the original characters. Like he's kind of gotten sort of like people have taken a far more critical look at him. Cyclops seems to have gone through a kind of ringer with like people's perceptions of him versus what we, they were when, when I was reading the books as a kid. Like it's a little different now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, Cyclops was like the X Men military general for a long time. He's uh he's become a really, really uh, fascinating character. Depending, it, it always depends on the writer or the story mm-hmm. being told. But yeah, there's uh there's crazy stuff that happens with all of them. Are you a Professor X fan, Ben? Uh, I've never been a fan. Again, I, putting him over the logo with the with the head thing, like clearly that was meant to get. Like, because think about it, in the spinner rack, you'd see the top, right? The reason why logos were put at the top was because this is what's going to be poking out from the top of the rack so people would know which product to buy. So you're putting him even above the logo. Well, clearly there was the audiences were picking up that book for Charles. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying I would have, but, uh, you know, he, again, when I was reading him, he was this weird, he was more of this father figure, the the, the students or didn't quite seem like children. It was the second group. It was a different perception of what they meant as kind of a family as opposed mm-hmm. to professor and students. Um, so he was that kind of father figure. Uh, it doesn't, but it was a complicated one. I mean, obviously he makes choices and does things that are somewhat questionable, but I never doubted that his actions came from a place of wanting good, you know? We uh we we've reviewed some of these early issues. There's like one where he's like pretending to be sick the whole issue, and he's like, "Take care of me. My powers are gone." And then at the end, he's like, "Just kidding. I still have my powers the whole time." Oh, what a dick! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he really like back then. He's kind of the father figure, and in like modern understanding, people are saying things like, "Um, this man built a child army." <laughs> so oh, yeah, no, no, no question. I mean, look, listen, it's the same thing that like, why are you sending your kids to Hogwarts? A kid dies there every year, right? Yeah. <laughs> Worst school ever. Stop and it. I gotta keep going. Uh, right. Um, so back at back at the Cobalt Man's base or 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 Ralph Roberts uh, plant, they know he's going after Iron Man. So Gene and Scott uh, free themselves and they're trying to figure out what to do when Ted wakes up. He wraps his own head in bandages because he got knocked out and he's driving his car, determined to go find his brother. Scott and Gene sneak in the back. And frankly, I'm glad that they did that because I think if Ted saw a redheaded woman and a guy with glasses as heroes, and he didn't realize that they were Scott and Jean. <laughs> there would be something really stupid about that. But yes. they, well, they, they sneak into the back of his van so that they can hitch a ride to go fight Cobalt Man. What were you saying, Alicia? Just, just even, he even does. Ralph, like, he's like, oh, you two, you must be the X-Men or the other two people that were here. The only other two people that know <laughs> that this lab exists. But how did you but, get into my lab? I don't know you. It's the old, uh, it's the old Batman Robin thing. But Robin puts the the little mask on his eyes, and he's like, "No one knows who I am now," which is incredible. Glasses, um, no glasses. Glasses, no glasses. Beast and Iceman try paying a cab to take them where they need to go, but they run out of money and they get dumped on the side of the road. 
but luckily Warren drives by and uh, and is there just in time to pick them up. Uh, we also get a very brief image of Iron Man. It just shows that he is off on another battle. We've recently on the podcast covered the first two times the X-Men meet Iron Man. One is when he detonates, uh, Iron Man detonates an atomic bomb in his front yard and Angel gets caught in the blast and it turns him evil. That's uh, that's an episode we did recently. And then they also met him at the wedding of the Fantastic Four, which we which we covered very recently as well. Um, Angel has arrived and he is there to battle Cobalt Man. Uh, he's kind of zooming around in the air, drawing his fire. And then, uh, Ben, do you want to take kind of the last four pages? Tell us what happens. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, again, we are in the middle of the slugfest. We are getting some cool Beast Iceman team up action as they're going up against Cobalt Man. Not doing such a great job of it, Beast. Always seems to, I don't know, this this episode, this issue, he beast and his abilities, he seems to be down on himself. He seems to like really be questioning his abilities. And it's like, and it's just, and it's showing here. He's just really not effective. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of cool poses. Visually, not the most striking of fights. Uh, I wouldn't call it Kirby esque. Um, just, it's, it's, it's just not going well for our guys. Um, and then Cobalt Man is basically, you know, doing his monologuing thing. He's, you know, the, the, the van shows up, Ted shows up, he's here to deal with his brother, not knowing that, you know, Scott and Gene are there and they're pretending like, oh, wait a minute, we need to make it, we make an entrance. So he doesn't know that we were just sitting in the van with him, uh, which I think is very nice of Gene to not make her boyfriend feel like a complete idiot. Um, <laughs> very sweet of her. Uh, and again, still confronted with a redhead and a, and a guy with a thing on his, on his eyes. Still not picking up on them. Um, but, you know, these Cobalt Man's calling them weaklings and talking shit like the villains always do. And our guys scramble into action. And they've got a plan. They've got a plan to sort of uh, this weird sort of divert, divide and conquer strategy that, you know, has Angel up in the air getting his, his wings singed. So it's a little bit of a callback to our, our splash page mm-hmm. where you've seen, you know, him. The training is sort of working because, look, oh, he's dodging laser beams. He was dodging flames. He gets hit here, but I guess the training's working out. So, you know, Charles Xavier endangering his students for, for their benefit, really paying <laughs> off. You're really getting your tuition's worth here at, uh, at Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Um, and then Ted shows up. He's, he's, he's driving the van to distract his, his brother. But what we don't know is that I think, I think we've set this thing to explode. Or he, he, no, he destroys it, but Beast looks like he's driving it and jumps out at the last second. So again, the van becomes a distraction, which allows Iceman and Cyclops who are hiding under the bridge to put the plan into effect, which is we're going to freeze this, this thing on his chest. It's going to, the power supply, we're going to fuck it up. Scott's going to shoot it. It's going to work. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, in the moment it looks like, Oh shit, it really did work. And Cobalt man starts to plummet to his doom off this bridge. Angel swoops in to try and save him. Uh, he's declaring that he saved him in a panel where his hands are not even on him. So I'm not sure how that worked, but, <laughs> but he, but he did manage to do it and he saves him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of, uh, Ralph sort of confronted by his brother and, and, and kind of Ralph realizes the, you know, the error of his ways. Um, and then, uh, sorry, I can't see my eyes are not so good. Um, hold on. In the in the very final panel, we get Ted kind of hinting like, "Oh, we better get back to Scott and Gene." There you go. Plan. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh no, did he figure out who we were?" Right. <laughs> so they're right. So they're fa- they're facing that that ever ever you know uh, troublesome question of, will they know that we are mutants? Will they discover our secrets? 
And once yet again, the secrets have not been exposed. But we end with this 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 tease of a panel where we see a hulking figure advancing, and we realize, oh shit, the juggernaut is coming. Dun, dun, dun. Back in these books, there are kind of four that the four types of threats the X Men face. Either someone's attacking the mutants, or there's like an evil mutant rampaging that they need to intervene on, or they just happen to be somewhere where you know they Doctor Octopus is robbing the bank, and the hero just happens to be in it. My favorite kinds of stories, although are, are almost are like the ones that are adjacent a little bit, like Jean's dating a guy at college whose brother turns out to be a villain. Like those types of like soap opera connections, I think are almost the most fun uh, where you get a little bit of like character drama mixed into who the villain is, as opposed to, you know, the warlock just like zapping Jean out of the mansion and you will be my empress, which is what we covered last time. Uh, what did you guys think about this final fight sequence? I like the strategy of it. Yeah, I I like that they were that they were working together as a team. That they had a a plan for it. That it was the kind of thing that they realized if we're going to do this, we need to be smart about it, as opposed to just sort of charging in, you know, powers blazing and everything. Um, I don't know. Again, visually, maybe not the most stunning of sequences, but but certainly conceptually interesting. And the little bits of information that Scott had learned, you know gotten from while they were at his lab became the key to defeating him. Mm-hmm. Justin, how about you? I really like the end action sequence. I feel like it really brought together everything that we've been seeing throughout. And not only that, there were a handful of I, a handful of moments throughout the issue where everyone seems to be really giving Scott props for as to why he's the leader or has he's, he's meant for leadership. So that was a nice thread to to build throughout it, it really i always like it when they can work together to to solve the problem and it finds ways to not only work together with their powers but with their strategy and and having this double diversion layered in i thought it was a really interesting way to to bring them all together and to save the day i think ralph gave up too easy for a big plan for Ralph, it almost comes across as like a mind control story, right? Like right. this thing turned me evil, but now I'm better. And certainly there's something going on under the surface there. But, you know, you can end the issue thinking, oh, this is actually a nice guy. He didn't mean for this to happen. Uh, yeah, but, then he, but then he puts the suit back on in a few issues. <laughs> he, hit it. he hit his head and the cobalt radiation was doing weird things, making him see stars. And that's all that made him. I, I do love the... <clears throat> the panel where they pull him out of the water and he's just laying with his like damsel in distress hand on his head. Like I'm cobalt man. I've been defeated. I love that. I love Which, that. Who knew that all we had to do was splash him with some water and he'd be all right. I need to know more science. I don't know what cobalt reacts to. One of my favorite things about this era of the X-Men is just the longevity of the plots. You can seed something six issues ago and then have it kind of come to fruit here and then still be picked up a few more issues later. The character drama, the character relationships, everybody's kind of paired off now that Candy's in the picture. It's uh, it's kind of fun to see those things happen, except for Professor X. He only has his mice. <laughs> he has something in the basement, doesn't he? He's got, he's got his stepbrother in the basement. Yeah, stepbrother locked him. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, did you guys have a single favorite uh, moment or favorite character interaction in this issue? Uh, my my favorite easy is the uh, the Bernard the poet stuff in the in the <laughs> the coffee a go go shop. I just find those issues delightful. Those those uh, those all interactions. I think they're so funny. 
I think for me, sorry. Thank you. Uh, I think for me, it's the moment when Jean and Scott are going like, oh, we've got to solve this problem. And Scott's like, no, no, Jean, just stay here. And she's like, please, I got my suit in my suitcase. I feel like a lot of times in the older comics, when I read Jean, I get upset that she's not more, she doesn't stand up for herself or like exude her power as much as I want her to. And so I feel like in that moment, she, she put her foot down, like, no, I am a member of this team and I will fight with you. And I enjoyed that moment. Ben, what were you going to say? I I, I really like the, I, I actually do like these, the soap opera aspect of it and, and the relationship stuff just as someone who works in a medium now that this is kind of what we do in television it's it's really cool to see how any any understanding of it i may have for my day job these days may have actually come from these this storytelling because it it, it, it again it plants something it evolves it it pays it off and and it's something that, you know, I, I think co- comics never got enough credit for that. Um, I think, you know, again, again, Roy Thomas is, you know, a legend as, as a writer. And, and I think you can, you can, if you take away the trappings of, oh, the time period and, and how, what, what the content of the stories was, and you sort of just look at like the structure and the, and the nuts and bolts of it, how they built the stories, um, it's it's really fascinating, and I feel like these these early X Men, again, they'd, they'd hit these same notes over and over again. But every once in a while, it would advance the story, it would advance the tune, and you'd get you'd get you you earned it, right? Some something happened between two characters. It's because you earned it, because you told a story that got you to the point where you're like, oh, and now it's time for this to happen. And you're like, oh my god, you know. And again, modern television, you know, we we do that on a weekly basis, so it's like. I don't know. I just, I, 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 it was a nice sort of refreshing reminder of this is, it's all storytelling DNA is storytelling DNA. Yeah. And, I mean, and, and these books had it. As one reminder, six issues or seven issues ago, Jean left the team to go to college and she's still in college. And in there's missions right. she's, and there's missions she's not along the team, uh, along with the, for, for the adventures because she's off at college. I, I like seeing the characters advance and change in that way. It's, it's, it inspires me as a writer a lot as well. Uh, uh, Justin, did you have a favorite moment? I, I just love how Cobalt Man gets upset at the very mention of Iron Man or any of the similarities, yet he is just blue Iron Man. Like There's just no <laughs> rationality to him being this angry. Wow, his repulsor rays are just like Iron Man. They're nothing like Iron Man's. They're Cobalt Man's repulsor rays. And he just goes off. like He smacked his brother for mentioning Iron Man. And I just love that for him. Much like Professor X, Tony Stark is the real villain of the Marvel Universe. (laughs) Uh, Cobalt Man, for those that want to track him, we will see him back here in X-Men number 34. So three episodes or four from now for us here. Uh, But you also see him in 1974 in Incredible Hulk number 173. You see him in 1977 in Defenders number 42. And then he's gone for about 30 years and shows up in in a weird series called Hulk Nightmarica. He's also in the Civil War series, which is super famous, uh, and Thunderbolts. And then most recently, he was in an issue of Deadpool Mercs for Money, uh, uh, as recent as two, 2016. 
And there are character moments for him in these. He's not just like a background supervillain all the time. And we actually get to see him advance as a character. And we haven't seen Ted Roberts in decades. So Ralph Roberts, because he has the cobalt suit, shows up. But Ted's just faded into obscurity. Although we'll still get him a little more. Sorry, Ted. (laughs) Um, Now, as we look at the cover for next issue, let me just hear some of your preliminary thoughts as we look forward to uh, X-Men number 32. It's called Beware the Juggernaut, My Son. Uh, and we see Juggernaut standing over uh, very unconscious and enfeebled looking X-Men. He's got Beast in the air. He's got Angel's wing in his hand, like he's ready to rip it off. Uh, what do you guys think? Looks like a sad day for the X-Men. Yeah. You know, like the, la- the, the cover of this issue was like, this looks like it's a tough battle for them, right? But th- that issue looks like this is really no shot going to end horribly for you all. Uh, any thoughts from you, Ben? I mean, I do beware the juggernaut. And I think they should <laughs> heed that message. We uh, we just finished the the trial of the juggernaut, and I went in after reading literally his entire chronology. I read his whole history, and I went in with this like this guy's an asshole. And I left that trial with like, oh my god, this is one of my most beloved X Men characters of all time. So if you haven't listened to the trial, the two part episode. Uh, it's it's wonderful, and there's so much good in this character that I, uh, I I adore now. So I'm really excited to go back and explore these issues. Now we're actually taking a break next week from uh, the X Men, and we're going to take another step back in continuity. We've been covering the X Men's appearances and other titles, and we're going to have the special guest on the novelist uh, Kath Loria, who has done uh, some recent books about Elsa Bloodstone, and she has a, a, a story in the new School of X book that just came out about some of our favorite X-Men characters. Uh, where can people find each of you online and what do we have to look forward to either uh, Ben in your work or Justin and Alicia on your podcast? Uh, ben, do you wanna go first? Oh, sure. Um, I, I'm a writer producer on uh, the CW show Legacies, uh, which airs Thursdays on the CW, uh, wherever the CW is airing. Uh, and, uh, other than that, um, my, my writing partner, Derek Hughes, and I are currently working on a, a feature based on a Belgian graphic novel called uh, Black Cotton Star, which um, we're writing for Reggie Hudlin, who comic fans will recognize, yeah. uh, to direct. Um, it's a World War II epic about black soldiers uh, on a mission to retrieve the original colonial flag in the middle of World War II. Oh my God, um, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, really, it's a really cool graphic novel by... Um, I forget the name of the, the author and the artist, but um, it just, it, it, you know, the, the project came our way and, and we read it and we're like blown away by it to the point where we're like, wait, is this true history? It's not true history, spoiler alert, but it, but it makes for an incredible tale. And, and we're really excited to be adapting that um, into a, into a, into a possible movie. Um, other than that, Derek and I are working on uh, a comic book, which we hope to have come out uh, later this year. I won't spoil it, but um it's for, you know, hopefully for image. That's where the plan is to do that through uh, Jeff John's Mad Ghost um, imprint. Uh, and other than that, yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, just just working away in the, in the salt mines of television. And where could people find you online if they'd like to? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Wondermasons, W-O-N-D-E-R-M-A-S-O-N-S, which is also my Instagram. Um, uh, there's nowhere else you need to find me. Uh I don't exist anywhere else. <laughs> and why are you trying to find me? What are you looking for? <laughs> You're going to be sorely disappointed if you do find me. 
And uh, Justin, Alicia, where can people find you? And what do we have to look forward to coming up? Well, you can find us all over the internet at The Ex-Wife Podcast. That's T-H-E-W-I-F-E, as in X-Men, not former wife. Um, so what were you going to say? Some places have a hyphen. Did I spell it wrong? You, you missed the X, but you <laughs> The Wife Podcast. <laughs> the wife you can podcast. find us at The Wife. No, T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E, as in X-Men, not ex-wife. Um we, yeah, what do we got coming up, Justin? Well, so the caveat with our podcast is I don't tell Alicia what we're talking about until <laughs> no. we start talking about it. Uh, she has expanded her ex knowledge yes, quite a bit you. lately. I am official. So we, we dive in weekly on the current continuity. So the Cohen era and all the things that Moira's mucking up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then occasionally dip back into classic continuity for some relevant stories. So to close out Inferno, we started talking about Madeline Pryor and her arc Mm -hmm. into the Goblin Queen and and also leading into the classic story of Inferno. Uh, As the X-Books take a dive into Wolverine past, present, and future, we might also talk about the hairy knucklehead as well. Uh, So good things to come. Yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, ben, uh, Justin and Alicia also have an incredible interview with Ben Percy that they recently mm-hmm. did that was so enlightening, uh, particularly about his work on Wolverine and X-Force and the stuff that's coming up, which next week is what uh, X Lives and Deaths of Wolverine or 10, no, 10 Lives, X Deaths of Wolverine. X yes. Lives, 10 Deaths. X Lives, 10 yeah. Deaths. Are you sure? I think it's anyway. the other way. 10 Lives, the other way. Because I think he dies an interminable amount of times, but it's exploring 10 lives. 10 lives and like infinite deaths. (laughs) That's how I understood it. Anyway, it's going to be great. And that interview was uh, was stellar. Uh, This will make me sound slightly OCD and insane as I say this, but I literally have the next 30 episodes of Grandmalk and Lane planned out. And I am in touch with some of my childhood heroes, some modern writers and artists. There is so much fucking amazing stuff coming up. And I, as a fan and as a a comic nerd, I'm just like, every day it's, uh, it's really exciting. Uh, ben, thank you for being here, for sharing your stories and your talent and your time. Um, again, your your work on Excalibur was transformative for me back in the day. And what an honor to get to know you today. Uh, and then Justin and Alicia, you guys are just delightful. I, I fucking love you. You're great. Thank you for being here again. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We love you too. Yeah. It's awesome to be here as always. Having the opportunity to chat with you about anything nerdy is fantastic. And it was really great to meet and chat with you as well, Ben. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate all three of you guys for, for letting me join you for this. This was, this was a blast. Thank you. I love that I am on a queer-themed podcast as the only gay person, and it's a delight to have you all here. So thank you for being great allies. But allies, right? Allies, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. Queer friends okay. and allies. Yes. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for participating in this safe space. Uh, and uh, we will uh, we will see you guys back next week on uh, Gray Malkin Lane.